Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, listen, the economy's grown, you know, pretty well. The, the, the GDP data notwithstanding, and there were so many quirks in those numbers in the first and second quarter, that nominal or dollar, the dollar value of GDP has been quite strong. When you adjust it for inflation, we got those two negative numbers back to back. But we're, we've got an, an economy that is, is running out of workers, actually. We don't have enough to uh, effectively fuel further job gains. And the Fed is trying to beat back inflation, which, by the way, is always already falling. Gasoline prices have come down 51 days in a row. Other inflation indicators, uh, copper, food prices, all of those are falling as well. Now, so the concern is, does the Fed continue to try to dampen demand and actually push the unemployment rate up to ease any further inflation pressures? Or at some juncture, do they come to the point that they decide that this is a kind of a Goldilocks environment? We've, we've got a lot of good things going on right now. We're That's Ron and Sana of CNBC saying that everything is on the up and up and looking great. And he's talking about this jobs report number. This jobs report number for the month of July shows payrolls up 528,000 for the month, unemployment rate ticking down a tenth to 3.5%. The expectations from Dow Jones, 258,000 jobs. They missed to the up 200 plus thousand, which only makes you wonder, how do they come to these types of estimates to begin with? Wage growth went up a half percent for the month, 5.2% year over year. But that's something that we knew with people going back to work and, of course, people looking for good people not being able to find them. I speak to people in Midwest Main Street. They are desperately looking for people. So the idea uh, that we are having trouble finding people is true. So where are all of these people? They were here, now they're not. We see more people getting jobs. Where were those, jo those jobs received? But are we seeing signs of the economy getting better because gas prices are going down? Or is that the sign of something else? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, great to be with you. Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And, and you always discuss the fact you're a financial economist. You're not engage, engaging in theory. You're taking a look at real numbers. You're the guy I wanted to talk to. Uh, Ron Insana, not a dumb dude over at CNBC. He's been there for a great number of years. He thinks this is a Goldilocks moment. We're in a good place with the economy. Starting with these jobs numbers that you see here, what does this tell you, and how in the world did the Dow Jones miss so incredibly? Well, first of all, these are good numbers, Tony. 528,000 new jobs. I'm very happy about this. There's nothing that I can say that's bad about that number. It's not. It's a good number. But let me tell you, we are now flat with the pre-pandemic. So when, when the Biden administration compliments themselves on how great job growth is, they can compliment themselves and say, we are now back to exactly where we started from. Tony, there isn't any growth. It's exactly where we start from. In fact, on the growth trajectory, we're probably down. We should have about, uh, about a million more jobs from where we have now. They're way off the mark. I'm sorry, more than a million. I won't bore you with the numbers. But they are not on – this is not correct, Tony. This, we're simply flat to where we were before. In a Goldilocks moment, that's bogus, Tony. We have what I call a lockdown bounce back. Yes, we shut down the economy. We've told you to get rid of your job, and now it's coming back. That's not anything great from Washington, D.C. That's simply the anti-lockdown. 
we're bouncing back from that. So when we discuss this, and I've discussed this many times on the show, we're discussing the fact that no new jobs have been created, but we are now, as you're describing it, to the point where the jobs that were lost because of lockdowns, because of shutdowns, because we told certain industries they weren't allowed to be in business, those jobs have returned, which, yes, I, like you, am very happy about. That's different than job growth and job creation. But when you hear people like Ron and Sana talk and you hear the White House talk, we're talking about strong uh, dollar. We're talking about Janet Yellen, the White House Treasury Secretary, or I should say the, the Treasury Secretary of the United States, talking about strong balance sheets uh, in, in, in homes. And you have discussed here that we are anything but strong balance sheets, especially when you look at PPI, producer price index, and what it costs to create goods and where stock is, where inventories are. So is this jobs number a number that should make people start feeling that confidence or are there other numbers that people should be paying much more attention to okay let me tell you the dirty little secret of why this big jump is occurring tony and why we'll have another big jump next time these numbers come out because productivity you ask for another number productivity our productivity is amount of work we produce per hour of labor it is the biggest drop in the history of this number. We're down 7.3%, Tony. That means every person is producing less. Guess what happens when you produce less, Tony? You need more workers. That's all that's happening. We have 7% less productivity in our country for regulation because of taxes, because of anti-business environment, because we don't have enough skilled labor, because Washington has given you student loans to go to be, you know, learn to be a philosopher instead of an accountant or an engineer. And so what, what we have, Tony, is we have lower productivity, which means you just need more workers. That's it. You're less productive. We need more of you. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. I want to go over this uh, a, a little more, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. The, the question before us is, what is it that we're seeing? The White House is going to tell us something. Our pockets tell us something different. You heard Ron and Sana there uh, say prices at the grocery store are going down. I have not personally seen that uh, myself or felt that uh, myself. I don't think people see that in the price of meat or the price of milk. I don't think they see that when they see still emptier shelves uh, than normal. But the question is, are we seeing signs that the economy is on its way back? I have got the Bank of England that has stated we will they won't get to their target rate of inflation of 2% until 2025. They just had their biggest rate increase, I think, since uh, the Bank of England started really taking care of these things, or I should say since 1997. Um, we are still seeing the Fed signaling an increase in interest rates. So where is the average American on this? Do they take heart or do they take solace and keep kind of uh, making sure they can ride out this storm for however long it lasts? Well, well, Tony, you know, I can't hear what people are saying because reality is too loud. Um, all I know is when I go to the shelves, they're empty. When I go to the grocery store, the goods are not cheaper. When I look at the data, inflation is nine plus percent annualized. Tony, I'll give you a piece of information. You know, Biden, I saw last week talk about the Supply chain is fixed. We don't have ships waiting off the port of Los Angeles. Tony, that's an absolute outright lie. We have 153 ships as of last week waiting to go into ports around the U.S. What's happened, they've just simply dispersed themselves to different areas. So the, instead of seeing all this mass 
in in one spot. They've moved it to different spots, but the supply chain issues uh, still remain. This is where it gets very, very ugly. The whole thing gets remarkably, sir, uh, convoluted. Uh, that there's no way to change the fact that we saw a lot of people add jobs. Where were these jobs added? The, the number one place that we saw jobs added, Tony, was in the service sector. Um, the service sector, um, hotel, transportation, entertainment, those areas with summer demand. Now, here's the problem, Tony. Those places also saw the biggest wage increase. I'm happy for a guy that got a high pay raise, but that fuels inflation. So if you're talking about wage inflation causing more inflation for all of us in the economy, it's in the wrong place. You'd rather have that inflation be incurring in manufacturing labor, not in service labor. So the service economy is where we see the growth, Tony, and that's um, why the market went down today. The market went down because they saw that increase in wages, and they said, uh-oh, inflation is not under control. I don't know what this guy was smoking. I don't know who he's talking to, but the fact is the market saw inflation here live and strong. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, and you are right. Leisure and hospitality leads the way with 96,000 jobs, professional and business services at 89,000, then healthcare, uh, followed by construction, manufacturing, retail trade, and transportation and warehousing. The number that always bothers me when we take a look at jobs is government, plus 57,000. Now, you'd still have a gigantically high number compared to the expectation, even without that. Should we be including government jobs as something as, uh, look, people got a job, we're, we're better off? Well, no. And, 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 Tony, that is, in the data I always talk about, I, don't, I try not to include government data. Um, government jobs, but that is included in a lot of the stuff that you see. That's bad growth. It's kind of like when the government spends more money, the GDP goes up. That's not a good thing. That's a bad reason for the GDP to go up if the government's spending more money. So yes, government hiring people, that's what they do in China. That's what they do in uh, the former Soviet Union, Venezuela, Cuba. That's not how you grow your economy, Tony, by adding government jobs. So I jumped around a little bit there, and I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to confuse anybody as you were talking about how the supply chain is going. These are the things that people are, are we, we've been talking about, and, and they understand because they own a business and it's hard to get goods. You talk to people who are in, for example, uh, they sell patio furniture. Well, dear Lord, best of luck getting a container uh, from China. You're ordering incredible months in advance in hope to be able to get what you get when you get it. And then you have to have a place to store all of those goods. And we've had conversations about where we are with inventories and how this uh, uh, affects things and how this affects, for example, capital outlays when we're talking about investing in new equipment. Is there anything in this market Anything that economists are seeing that would give business owners a reason to make strong investment in themselves right now? Well, you know, Tony, I can tell you that the live report from the PMI that came out just a couple of days ago says, no, inventories are still shrinking. Why are they shrinking? Because Walmart and Target and these organizations, they bought too much. People aren't buying as much as they were. Now, you know, you hear the bragging about, oh, people are buying, the consumer's buying. Yeah, but guess how they're buying, Tony? They're tapping into their savings. That's not a good thing. You want to sell, bought, purchase with your income, not your savings. And so these companies overshot how much they thought the consumer was going to buy. So, no, I don't think the inventories are a good sign right now. It's actually the picture just looks a little bleak. 
You have seen the Fed make its moves. The conversation is it's going to make another move uh, this month in that half percent, three quarter percent uh, type of way. When I talk about the Bank of England decide uh, stating stating out loud that they don't expect to get to their two percent inflation number till 2025. You think they're uh, optimistic or uh, skeptimistic? I think they're realistic, Tony. Um, I think our Federal Reserve Board has to be every time they see the you know, the Inflation Creation Act is what I'm going to call it. And every time they talk about, you know, the CHIPS Act, our Federal Reserve Board has to be putting their hand in their face in their hands and saying, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. We're trying to stop inflation, stop creating it. Yet these other countries, I think they're very realistic, at least in what the Bank of, New England, uh, Bank of England is saying. I think they're on target. Now let me bring you to something that has we, we've discussed before but has now received new life. Because you have a Senator Cinema saying that she will go along with what they're calling the Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to increase taxes on certain uh, in- individuals. It will increase spending by $449 billion. They're going to spend for uh, climate and a series of things. This is Senator Angus King. Uh, uh, he's an independent out of Maine discussing this on CNN. Give this a listen. Absolutely. This is actually going to reduce the deficit. In fact, one of the provisions in the bill is to reduce the the federal debt by $300 billion. So that was one of the things that Joe Manchin and I and others insisted be part of the bill. So, yeah, I I don't think there's going to be any problem on the numbers side. There's some uh, sort of in the weeds issues about what you can do in a reconciliation bill in terms of policy. And that's what the parliamentarian is working through this week. But uh, that was a big deal last night that uh, we now appear to have a a final deal that uh, you're you're, going to have 50 votes for. Senator Cinema going along with this. They're getting rid of the carried interest uh, loophole conversation. They're going to continue to allow this. There's a letter out from 230 economists saying, don't do this. It's going to absolutely uh, uh, contribute to what they refer to as skyrocketing inflation. It's going to be a burden on the U.S. economy. You've gone through this legislation, sir. How bad is this, or is are the Democrats right, and this investment is going to create a lot of economic opportunity? Uh, Tony, you know, I, I hate to have to cooperate with uh, 200 and, or agree with 230 theoretical institutional university economists, but I agree with them. This thing is, whether you're left or right, this thing is obviously going to create inflation. Because, Tony, remember this cash and stuff analogy? They're going to reduce the amount of stuff. If you impose a 15% minimum corporate tax, you're going to reduce stuff. If you increase the number of IRS audits, you're going to reduce stuff. If you increase the top level of uh, individual tax rate up to 45%, you're going to reduce the amount of stuff, Tony. So this thing not only spends government money, but it also reduces the amount of stuff in the economy. That's a bad combination. In about 30 seconds or less, and this is one heck of a history lesson to engage in 30 seconds or less, the argument regarding the Great Depression was that the government kept trying to fix things and therefore made things worse. Is this a parallel? Um, the details are not the same, but the behavior is the same. It is the government trying to fix things, but the situation is different in that at that time they were, they were um, very tight money. They were causing actually uh, deflation rather than inflation. But, yes, the government trying to fix it is the problem rather than letting the free market. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Matt Will, W-I-L-L, on the Twitter box. Find him right there, Dr. Matt Will. I appreciate you taking the time. We've got more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. If I let-
So if you want to know where the real economic situation in America is, it's at Burger King. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? The CEO of restaurant brands, they own Burger King, is letting you know that you should not expect $1 Whoppers any time soon. No, no, no. I'm w- I'm with you. That's that's just um well, that's terrible. Oh god. Now, full disclosure, my guilty pleasure food is Hardee's and I would rather have a Hardee's burger than a Whopper. I will admit I don't know the last time I had a Whopper. But I would do Hardee's for burgers and I would probably do Hardee's for chicken tenders if I'm doing the fast food chicken tender. Although maybe I would do Zaxby's. And I would do uh, uh, Burger King for onion rings, but I would do Arby's for the Jamocha shake, even though the Frosty is clearly the creme de la creme, but I would want those with waffle fries from Chick-fil-A. I have seriously thought this out, people. Right? I am not just a pretty face. I'm a pretty face with important knowledge to share with the American people. But a dollar Whopper is now off the menu. There's a $5 Have It Your Way meal, which has a Whopper Jr. They think it's an amazing value. And it's seen good guest response. No more Whoppers for a buck. But we're seeing this in a, in a lot of different places. We're seeing these things disappear. I, I the, the story about Goodwill... Goodwill used to have, like, they would have colored tags on on the clothes, a red, green, a yellow, black, blue, and different weeks they'd have deals. That's all gone. Military discounts, gone. Senior discounts, gone. Gone. People went to Goodwill for a lot of these reasons, because they could find stuff for their kids, for themselves, for their families, couldn't afford it the other way. And these discounts and these specials helped, and that stuff is all gone gone the little things are sometimes much more of an indicator of the economic reality than the large things that the jobs came back that's great that the jobs have come back but the wages because of inflation aren't keeping up even though the wages are growing to a point that it's actually hurting not helping I still don't feel good and I want to There'd be nothing better than to take solace in this big jobs number of 500 plus thousand. But when you can't get a dollar Whopper, you're learning something else. Anna Navarro and Alyssa Farah are conservatives. They're Republicans. Okay, people, move along. There's nothing to see. Don't look at me. I'm not the one who said it. The View said it. The Associated Press putting out ABC's The View has named two Republicans, Alyssa Farah and Anna Navarro, as regular panelists on the daytime talk show. And neither are fans of former President Donald Trump. Anna Navarro's not a Republican. I know she made that claim years ago. Stop it. That's over. Anna Navarro is not a Republican. Uh, Allow me to go a a, a step further. She uh, lists herself. She she puts herself down as a Republican strategist. You guys know I do this for a living, right? (laughs) 
you know that before uh, this, when I was building my radio career, I, I was a Tea Party guy. I, I by the way, the lies still told about the Tea Party, it's it's remarkable, remarkable. Now the Tea Party did not have the success that it needed to have, but as the start of a conversation of, oh my gosh, how long can we go on like this? Let's do something. Let's say something. Let's let's be proactive in an idea that you can't spend your way into prosperity. That conversation is actually still held. It was the 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 stylings to which did not. And it's the Tea Party and the fact that it, it didn't work that brought about stronger convictions and brought about things uh, like Trumpism. I mean, it, it, that, that's, not, that's not even an attack. That's a pretty solid understanding of the situation. But I came into this meeting people who were in the movement, talking to people, learning people, and learning quickly that the um, consultant class of the Republican Party was just a really awful group of people. Don't get me wrong, I met some lovely folk and people that if, if, if they call and ask me my thoughts, I'd share thoughts with them. I've met some lovely people, some people with minds. The vast majority of consultants I met are just not thinkers. You know, maybe that's a better way to say it than ugly people. They, they're, they're not thinkers. They're not in-depth. They, they don't want to try new things. They want to engage the same old slate mailer that, uh, that gets them paid a couple of grand. Because after all, getting paid a couple of grand is the only thing that matters. Nothing else comes close. Just make your money, baby. That's it. That's all that could ever possibly matter. Get paid, move on. Get paid, move on. This person doesn't win another campaign. Get paid, move on. Why didn't the other person win? Well, they didn't take our advice. See how easy that is? Anna Navarro, as a Republican strategist, I don't know if anybody anywhere would say, oh, yeah, Anna Navarro, she worked on my campaign. I have never heard it. That doesn't mean it isn't out there. It means for all the time I spend in the movement, for all the time, all the engagement I have had uh, with, with, with people uh, has never come up. I've been to a lot of CPACs, conservative political, political action conferences, and there's one going on in, in Dallas, Texas right now. I just I, I didn't want to go to Dallas in, in August. Don't you, you can't blame me. And uh, I don't ever remember her name. I remember names, not hers. Just a, a bit of anecdotal. Also, you listen to her and you realize she's not a Republican. Now, Alyssa Farah goes by Alyssa Farah Griffin. Um, she was the press secretary for Mike Pence, the vice president, when I was doing interviews with the vice president and meeting him uh, from time to time. Um, she was uh, helpful in coordination with certain things, and I, and I greatly appreciate the help. To listen to her on um, The View, it is not that I wouldn't call her a Republican. She may believe in low taxes, and she may be pro-life. Utilizing those two things as easy-to-pick kind of, of, of markers. 
but am I convinced that when Joy Behar is yelling at her or Sonny Hostin is yelling at her, she won't stand up? No, not at all. I'm convinced that if Sonny Hostin started screaming about racist Republicans, uh, Alyssa Farah or somebody would say, well, we do have a problem, but we don't have a problem. I can show you a lot of bigotry out there everywhere. The idea that being a Republican means you're a bigot is such nonsense. It is the Democratic Party that says if you're black and a Republican, you're not really black. It is Joe Biden who says if you don't know if you're going to vote for me or Trump, then you ain't black. That's bigotry. That is some hate. That is some serious, serious hate. Let me, let me, let me share this. Oh, my gosh. Do you know the story of Sri Thanadar? I couldn't pick Shri Thanadar out of a lineup. His first name is Shri, S-H-R-I. Last name is Thanadar, T-H-A-N-E-D-A-R. And Shri Thanadar has won the race for the congressional seat in Detroit. We're talking about the primary. He is Indian. He defeated State Senator Adam Holler, and uh, a CEO by the name of Portia uh, Roberson. This means, this means that in Detroit, there will be a decision made between him and a man by the name of Martel Bivings. I have no idea who Martel Bivings is. I couldn't pick Martel Bivings out of a lineup. I believe it's Martel Bivings. Now, the odds of a Republican winning, very, very small. This is Detroit. Very, very, very small. But according to uh, the data that I have, not being an expert on uh, politics in in uh, Michigan, the race for this congressional seat, the Michigan 13th, will be State Rep. Shri Thanadar going up against this, this man that I, I just mentioned, Martel Bivings. I think I've got that right. The odds are that the Democrat wins. Sri Thanadar is Indian. And so people are pointing out that Detroit will not have a black representative in Congress for the first time in 70 years. Now, Martel Bivings, just so... We're all playing the home game. I had to look him up. I'm not an expert on on politics in Michigan. Martel Bivings, looking for a photo. Bivingsforcongress.com. Oh, yes, he is black. So first they're saying that nobody is in Detroit is going to vote for, for Martel Bivings. And then they're saying if the Democrat wins, it isn't okay because he's not black, he's only Indian. Enter Jamel Hill, 
from the Atlantic, uh, the former ESPN uh, commentator who said that uh, Jerry Jones of the Cowboys was a racist or was a white supremacist, all those kinds of things. Jamel Hill tweets out, the third blackest city in America doesn't have a black representative in Congress. That is bigotry. From the progressive, the Democrat, Jamel Hill, and everybody else who's upset that the people of Detroit made a decision, which clearly means that the people of Detroit are a bunch of racists. The people of Wayne County, that's where Detroit is, are a bunch of racists because they could have nominated a black Democrat, but they didn't. They nominated an Indian Democrat. And they have completely discounted the Republican because he's black and a Republican, so therefore not really black. You want to know where the racism is? There you go. As easy as day to figure out, to explain. And I'm willing to bet dollars that Alyssa Farah when on The View, won't say, you got to stop saying that, Sonny Hostin. Let me tell you what racism is. Let me show you what bigotry is. And then Sonny Hostin saying, he's going to say, you can't say that to a black woman. And then the, the exact answer should be, well, of course I could. Does your, the color of your skin give you a secret knowledge? This. This has been my argument that I've been working on now for a couple of months. Because I remember when I first heard somebody make the claim that because they were black, they could teach others about racism. And it, you know, there, there's, there's a certain level of, of, of social conditioning that even hits me, and I, I pay attention like you, I'm very aware of these things. And it hit in that place of, of Malcolm Gladwell's blink. I didn't know what was wrong with that statement, but something was. The front of my brain wanted to, to, to tell me that, well, black people experience racism, so of course, but it hit. It was in the back. Something wasn't right. But I needed a way to be able to figure it out so I could explain it, so I could state it, so I could share it. And it took, took a couple of months. I'd think about it. I'd forget about it. I'd come back to it like, like a bad penny. It would come back into my head and just pop into my head. What was wrong with that statement? What was the issue? What was the problem? Something's not fitting. And it dawns on me, what knowledge did this person have? They stated, well, I could teach you about racism. Wouldn't you have to have an education in, an expertise in, have a studied knowledge of? And I said, well, what about me? I'm a Jewish man. I could tell you my experiences with anti-Semitism, but could I really teach it? Well, I haven't done that level of study into it. I could talk about it maybe better than some, but I don't know if I could talk about it as well as somebody who has engaged in serious study of the subject. And then I asked myself, well, is that person Jewish? And the answer is, how would I know? But if they've engaged in the study of it, would it matter? 
And at that moment, you realize that the argument that was made, well, I could teach people about racism and, and where their privilege is, and that none of that's true. It would have to come from a level of study. Thus, being black or being Jewish does not make one an expert. If you were to argue that your race makes you intellectually superior based on the race itself, how is that different from the KKK? No, seriously, I'll wait. I, I, will, I will gladly sit and wait for the answer to that question. I didn't know what that other thing was. I hate it when things autoplay on my computer. I really do. Especially when I'm in the in doing it doing it perfect. I hit that right on the post. It was beautiful. Being something does not mean you have an expertise in something. And that's the answer for Sonny Hostin. You think Alyssa Farah can give that answer? Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that Sonny Hostin and Whoopi Goldberg and Joy Behar and, and, and Anna Varo would be so insulted that someone logically, rationally, reasonably uh, uh, addressed the situation that they would walk off the set like my name was Bill O'Reilly. You can call them Republicans all you want, Associated Press, or The View. Anna Navarro, definitely not. Alyssa Farah, I would argue, Yes but she won't fight. It's clear after Elizabeth Hasselbeck and Meghan McCain, the view isn't interested in fighters anymore. They just want people to get punched and lay down. I'm Tony Katz. The Republicans will meet in Milwaukee in 2024. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the host city for the GOP 2024 presidential nominating convention. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, guys, it's good to be with you. So uh, they gathered in uh, Chicago, which is where they were holding the Republican uh, convention this year, right? They, the, the Republicans still get together, the National Committee, and they all picked Milwaukee. Now, being a guy in Indianapolis, thrilled, very, very happy, easy drive it was between milwaukee and nashville which also would have been fine easy easy drive i am not sure why my beloved indianapolis it was not in the in in the running oh we could do the rnc heck i would do the dnc i'd be thrilled to have it here bring your money lay it down on the table Now, this is funny. You know, I talk about Nashville, uh, you know, big city, growing city. People love it. A lot of good barbecue. It fell out of contention as the Nashville Metro Council voted down a draft agreement to host the convention. So they're like, yeah, we don't want this. That's that's real weird. How could you not want it? Is is it a conversation of we don't think we have the resources for it? We don't think we get the return on it? We think there'll be too much violence? Well, what does that say about uh, another another party? I just said I'd love to have the Democratic Convention in Indianapolis, man. Welcome. You need directions here? Let me show you where to go. Have fun. Spend your money.
Have a great time. Spend your money. Be safe. Spend your money. Everyone be cool, honey buddy. Spend your money. That'd be, that'd be me. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Put Indy on the map for three or four days. Super excited about that. I'd love to see it for the Republicans, too. I'd love to see it for another Super Bowl. Heck, there is a cigar conference that happens every year that I would love to see in Indianapolis, but they won't allow cigar smoking in the convention center. And supposedly they've been asked, and they're like, nope. What's wrong with you people? What's wrong with you? Take their money. This is Tony Katz today.